Hey everyone, it's James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. 2,900 plus amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter. Dozens more at Patreon.com slash Notorious Banker where for as little as a $1 subscription, you can help the Notorious Banker fight back against big banks. Guys, once again, thank you so very much for your love and support. It really does mean a lot to me. Thank you to Shannon for a $100 contribution via Cash App. Um, It really meant a lot. I had helped Shannon about eight months ago prior to the pandemic taking a hold of America um, get back some money from a Bank of America home loan escrow issue that she had where Bank of America owed her thousands of dollars and she did not get the thousands of dollars from Bank of America until she came to the Notorious Banker. Within 10 minutes of me helping her, I gave her a template of what to tell Bank of America and she got her money back. Now I hadn't heard from her in several months because... Um, pre-pandemic because she was a nurse and she actually works at a COVID-19 ward in California and um, thank you to all essential workers out there and including the branch employees of Bank of America, Wells Fargo and other banks. It's a job that would be hard for me to do um, if I was still working in a branch so thank you for that but the medical workers I really appreciate everything that you do for this country. It, It really does mean a lot and she was one of them. So, of course, California got hit pretty hard a couple of times there, and she had been busy. And she said she had just literally been catching up on everything that's going on with her life on uh, the last couple of weeks. And she remembered that I helped her, and she gave $100 to the Notorious Banker cause. Guys, you don't realize what $100 means to the Notorious Banker's project here. My bills are minimal compared to the average Americans. If I can sustain $1,000 a month of just passive income through the notorious banker project and working my little side projects here or there i can make this work and i can be supportive of this household here i can pay my bills i can buy the food that i like and and i'm a very cheap date with food so don't think i'm buying lobster here i'm buying chicken breast and chicken breast alone and it allows me to function as a notorious banker full-time kicking ass against big banks any chance that i get the fact that she remembered me several months after the fact was really important. I really thank her for that. It's it's humbling to know that I was helping this person pre-pandemic. I was in Phoenix on vacation. I had just got done eating this huge Chinese dinner, Chinese food dinner. And um, she had posted on Twitter. I talked to her for a little bit to see what's going on. And by the time you know it, she got her issue resolved. And that's what I do. That's what the Notorious Banker does. And I'm really grateful that I still have the skills two plus years after leaving Bank of America under very dubious circumstances. Dubious on their side. Um, You may notice that this podcast is going to be commercial free without commercials from Anchor and a lot of the voting things that I was doing in the last month. Well, that's no accident. The voting things ended after Election Day. And, of course, Anchor is the maker of this podcast, and it's one of the companies that was acquired by Spotify in the last year. So there's, like, a lot of funky things going on with advertising and everything going on, um, just with podcasts in general, because podcasts are the new big thing and everyone has a podcast. i got to tell you a story about one of my classmates totally ripping off a podcast um that I'm doing, but not about banking. It's just more kind of the same style, and I just found it hilarious. But anyway, um, since Spotify acquired Anchor, there's a lot of changes going on. And um, Anchor is kind of pausing the advertisements that um, they allow podcasters to make in between, you know, 
commercial breaks and whatnot within podcasts. So um, that little bit of passive income that I've been thankful for the last year and a half is currently not there. It's, it's going to be back soon, so I'm told, and so what everyone else is talking about. Um, but it's not there yet. So I will tell you right now, this podcast is not generating passive income the way that it was about a week or two ago. I'm pretty worried about the short term, but long term, I know it's going to be good because I know we have a great podcast here and we have had previous great sponsors such as Kasasa, among other companies. So if you um, run a company and you want your voice to be heard, it doesn't have to be a banking company. It could be anything that you're doing. I have a wide reach. And, of course, you know me on Twitter at BankBetterGuy. I know how to sell. I am a salesperson. I was a sales manager. So I can help your product, your company. I can help your statement get out there. Um, Please let me know. uh, At BankBetterGuy, DM me. um, TheNotoriousBanker at gmail.com. 575-322-4127. Leave a voicemail. We can talk business. We can talk about placing advertisements in this podcast to allow the notorious banker to function a little bit better have a little bit more revenue and also to help push your product to the next level as well and um to the listeners of this who fast forward through commercials you got to understand one thing whenever you have commercial skip on tv or whenever you're you know fast forwarding through commercials um or skipping out commercials on youtube or whatever you got to understand people pay a lot of money to to put those things there and a lot of the time, especially with targeted-based advertising now, those sponsors are meant for you. So take a look at them every once in a while and, and understand that this is a business. The Notorious Banker is a business as well, and I'm working like hell to make sure that this business continues going forward. So if you have a company you'd like to um, advertise on Notorious Banker or any of my platforms, please contact me. Otherwise, um, contribute to the Notorious Banker on Patreon, patreon.com slash Notorious Banker. also accept Cash App or Venmo. Of course, no Zelle, because Zelle is evil. We're going to talk about a couple of things today. Um, I had a lot going on with um, EDD, the unemployment in California, going on. And I'm, I do want to do a standalone podcast about that, because I plan on doing a video as well. There's a lot of um, ideas that I have about what's going on with unemployment bank of america and california and it's huge um no one else is talking about it i will talk about it because i have the experience too i want to get back to bank of america's payday loan thing that they introduced a couple of months ago and how that's going to roll out in the next month or so um the cfpb the consumer financial protection bureau um made an announcement a few days ago about the proposed product the small dollar loans product and why I think it's short-sighted and why I think the announcement that they made is kind of detrimental to customers instead of beneficial to them. And I'll tell you why. But first, we're going to talk about a story I read on Thursday, November 5th. Um, early morning hours of Thursday, November 5th. And of course, with the election going on, and I apologize for this, I was just enthralled with the election coverage. Didn't have a dog in the race. I really didn't care who won or lost. I'll be quite frank with you. I really didn't. But it was interesting TV. And the fact that every channel had wall-to-wall coverage, even 2, 3 in the morning. All the network stars with you know Fox, CNN, MSNBC were all there late, late night hours. And I just thought it was really cool. And it just made for interesting content. And I got sucked into it. And I didn't sleep for a few days. And it was really stressful and everything. And um, I'm never doing that again, to be frank with you, unless unless it happens again the same way that it did in 2020. But we'll see in 2024, I guess. 
But I read this story about Wells Fargo on Thursday, and it just freaking pissed me off. And basically, they decided that they're going to freeze raises for high earners at Wells Fargo. All the big shots are getting their pay freezed, and it's like, we're cutting costs. And the fact that there's a news story about that, and the underlying impact of all the Wells Fargo cutbacks is about 50,000 people are going to lose their jobs. And the headline is the top earners are going to have a pay freeze is such an idiotic thing um, that I had to do a segment on it. So after this brief promotional consideration, we're going to talk about Wells Fargo's uh, plan to cut back a little bit more. And we're going to talk about freezing raises for high earners. Why um, Why that just looks bad. It just looks even worse than, than what's going on at Wells already to begin with. And then we'll talk about the Bank of America loan thing as well. So please stick around. All right, my friends, we're back with more Notorious Banker. So Wells Fargo, of course, in the news always. I mean, when are they not in the news for bad shit? I mean, it's it's horrible. It's terrible how Wells Fargo just always seems to be Wells Fargo in the news. And I just laugh at every story that I read, you know. And every story that I read is just one more, ugh. You know, um, all I can say is... They just fit the stereotype of what people think a big bank does. Screw over customers, cut back on jobs, cut back on service. And and kind of, you know, they're kind of tone deaf to the way that a big company should act. And I know people talk shit about other companies as well. I'm sure there's a Walmart podcast where people talk about horror stories of working at Walmart or horror stories of being a Walmart customer. You know, I'm sure there's car dealership um, stories out there or, you know, just real estate, any of this stuff. I, I just think that everyone has something to complain about. My thing is to complain about is banks. But when Wells Fargo does stuff like they're doing, it just it just makes it so easy. And um, with Wells Fargo, of course, you always want to look at the underlying story. And the underlying story is the fact that with their unauthorized account scandal, uh, fake account scandal, we've been over that a million times, with their unauthorized account scandal, it's probably led to a million people being impacted that weren't customers. I'm talking about the 5,300 people that were fired in 2016 as part of the unauthorized account scandal. They have family members, they have dependents, and then those dependents have friends and family as well. And those relationships get impacted. And then, of course, the 50,000 plus people about to lose their job over the next couple of years because Wells Fargo is trimming the fat, cutting back $10 billion a year in spending. It's really, really. And I think they just say, fuck it, we're just going to do what we do. And I can appreciate that attitude. I always fancied myself a person who just wanted to do what he wanted to do, damn the consequences. Like right now, I'm recording a podcast, and my window in my office is wide open. You know why it's wide open? It's 60 degrees outside. I've been waiting for a day where the high is 60 degrees for the longest time, and it's sunny outside. Winter is upcoming in New Mexico, finally, thank God. I was doing podcasts in 107 degree heat with this room feeling probably just as hot, sweating through my chest and my back and my legs were sweating. It's gross, but I did it for you. I did this podcast for you. But right now, I don't give a shit. The window is open. I can hear cars on the side of my road right here because I I live kind of by a stop sign. And um, if you hear a car worrying by when I'm talking, well, you know what? I'm marching to the beat of my own drummer. This isn't the most, you know, 
effectively produce podcasts out there. It's just James and a microphone. So if you don't like it, well, tough cookies, okay? But Wells Fargo seems to have, um, by the way, I just got to tell you it's fresh in here. Wells Fargo seems to have just that attitude. And I can respect it to a point. But when it causes people to lose their jobs, when it causes people to lose confidence in the companies where the mon- their money is held, it's really, really bad. And I'm going to read two, um, two stories here. One is from WSOC9 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Wells Fargo is one of the biggest employees, uh, employers in Charlotte. 20,000 plus employees work in Wells Fargo in Charlotte, North Carolina, including that one guy from the um, stealing money from the bank vault when he posted all of his um, thievery on Facebook. That was hilarious. And that was almost a year ago, if you can believe that. The BSOC says the Charlotte's Charlotte region's largest employer in the financial services sector, Wells Fargo and Company, is freezing raises for the company's top earners, according to a recent report from Bloomberg. Um, that's as the San Francisco-based bank is looking at compensation in its effort to reduce annual expenses by $10 billion under CEO Charlie Scharf. The latest move will halt increases in base pay for the coming year for employees with an annual salary of more than $150,000. Damn. Now let's go to Yahoo. Um, This is the Bloomberg article. And it says, Wells Fargo and company plans to freeze raises for top earners as the bank's new leadership team retools compensation practices with a close eye on costs, according to people briefed on the plans. According to managers in the conference call on Wednesday, um, Wells Fargo will halt increases in base pay in the coming years for employees making more than $150,000. It's the second time in a few weeks that the firm has sought to limit the expense of rewarding well-paid employees. The move is part of an effort to support lower-paid staff <laughs> while the bank navigates its economic environment and its own restructuring. CEO Scharf took over last October, has embarked on a cost-cutting spree aimed at shaving $10 billion in annual expenses. Already, the company has stated workforce reductions can ultimately number in the tens of thousands. The bank aborted an attempt last month to stop matching contributions to its 401k retirement system for employees who earn more than 250k a year. Okay, so they screwed over rich employees twice. The 401k thing, it's pretty bad because, you know what, there is no pension at Wells Fargo or Bank of America. You have to put in in order to have a comfortable retirement. And Bank of America matched up to 6%, I believe, and Wells Fargo is probably the same. But, of course, if you make $250,000 a year and you're contributing 6%, you know, that's a good chunk of money, and you multiply that by thousands of employees, then it gets a little bit expensive for Wells Fargo. So they were wanting to cut costs, and they got some pushback on that. So they decided to freeze pay uh, for people making more than $150,000 a year. Now, here's my rant, okay? So we'll talk about the lower-paid employees in a second here. But when you're not making $150,000... Even if you're in a big city, even if you're in a San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York, you're okay. You may not be wealthy in those big cities. You may be you may be kind of middle class in some of those places because, you know, um, I've had people tell me that rent in San Francisco can be $3,500 a month for a two-bedroom apartment, for God's sakes. So, yeah, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to live there. Gas can be $5 a gallon for all we know. 
you know, you go to a convenience store, milk is six dollars a gallon. You know, it's it's weird how some people in the city just love the city, but they love paying all those extra things. But you know what? There's people making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year that live in a place like Dallas, Texas, that live in a place like Phoenix, Arizona, where you can live in the suburbs and it's relatively cheap. You can get a you know two hundred thousand dollar house for about twelve hundred dollars a month if you get the right percentage and the right mortgage plan and everything like that. So one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, you can be living large. Okay, to me, one hundred fifty thousand dollars is inherently wealthy. The highest point. My wife and I had salary-wise was my last year at Bank of America, and it was like her fifth year at New Mexico State University where she works. Where combined, we probably made about eighty thousand dollars. Now, there's probably somebody who listened to this podcast who says, "Damn, I made eighty thousand dollars my first year out of college." Well, number one, screw you. <laughs> this podcast is probably not about you. This podcast is for the working class, the people who aren't as lucky, who aren't even educated for that matter. And I'm college educated, as is my wife. She has an MBA, for God's sakes, but 80000 combined is what we made. And honestly, we went to Vegas three times a year. We went to every concert we ever wanted to. We made trips to Phoenix. Um, you know, we've taken trips elsewhere, Denver and whatnot. Um, we've experienced all these vacations, all this fun stuff as people in our 20s and in our in early 30s now for her and late 30s for me. We've lived our life the way that we wanted to and we've never held back. We didn't overspend, though. Which meant we had a lot of money. We, we, we thought we had a lot of money. We bought a house. We were able to pay a mortgage. We were able to have direct TV with HBO and everything. And it's a great life. The fact of the matter is if someone is making twice that amount. And yeah, I know it's different if you have kids. Okay, I understand that it's different if you have a wife or a husband who's needy. Who needs a $500 coat or a $500 Michael Kors bag or whatever you know hey like i want to buy a barbecue grill and it's only twelve hundred dollars but we'll use it every weekend and then you never use it yeah people have you know weird relationships with their spouses and significant others and family and whatnot so they know how to spend that money as well but one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year is a shit ton of money no matter where you live in this country so the fact that the pay is being frozen there and let's just say that the pay is being frozen no pay raises this year maybe not next year as well and you make $150,000 a year, and you make a 2% increase on your pay year over year. Well, 2% of $150,000 is a $3,000 a year raise. I never got a $3,000 a year raise at Bank of America. The most I made was $45,000, and about 4000 of it was bonus income made by overselling the shit out of customers. So one-fourth of what these people are making that are getting a pay freeze is what I made a year. And I probably worked 10 times as harder as they did. And that's upsetting to me. And it should be upsetting to the tellers, to the personal bankers, to the branch managers even, because I, I've i never met a branch manager at a major bank that made more than $70,000 a year. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe in the bigger cities, they make six figures with bonuses and whatnot. But my branch manager made 50 and I made 45. You know, it wasn't that big a difference. Would I take 45000 and have my sales manager job? Or would I only take 5000 more and be responsible for the whole branch? Fuck that. She could have the whole branch. I'll manage sales because I know what I'm good at. I'm not good at operations. So the fact that they're freezing pay may come as a, oh, I hate this crap. 
to people who make exactly $150,000 a year. Maybe those people are younger. Maybe those people are on the come. They're up and coming. They're rising stars. And they want to be CEO someday. They want to be CFO someday. And here's the here's the two-part problem with Wells Fargo. And it, and it, it really is all about the future here, especially with Sharf. He makes $35 million a year, okay? That's how much he's roughly making, the highest paid CEO of all the big banks. If he says, well, I'm taking a pay cut or I'm, I'm freezing my pay, well, good for fucking you. You make $35 million. You make as much as LeBron James does on the basketball court, for God's sakes. And you know what's funny? Like, there's NBA players who make $25 million a year, and they'll take a pay cut to go win a championship. And we've heard that before, where they'll say, hey, I make $25 million a year playing for the New York Knicks. But I took a $5 million pay cut to make only $20 million a year, so I go play with the Golden State Warriors and win the title. They're just throwing these numbers around like it's nothing. If taking a $5 million pay cut was detrimental to them, they wouldn't have done it. But they know that this is all monopoly money anyway, and they're making a shit ton of money as well. So losing that much, I was like, well, I never had it, but at least I have the glory of winning a title. That's what Sharf is doing. Sharf is going to continue to make $35 million a year. And whenever he makes an edict saying, if you're $150,000 a year or more, um, you're not going to get a pay raise, he's not thinking about those people as, oh, they make a lot of money. Do you think Sharf could survive on 150 k a year? Fuck no, he couldn't. So he is living large, and the CEO, CFO Shrewsbury, and all these people who make seven figures or more are going to be fine. The $150,000 plus targets a few select people here, and it, it targets a bunch of people who expect to move their you know way up the ranks and who are already making $150,000 a year, and maybe they're younger than me. Maybe they're in their late 20s or early 30s, and they're like, well... I can go work for Goldman Sachs and make twice as much. Or I can work for a hedge fund and make this much money. I really think what Wells Fargo is doing is kind of what Bank of America is doing. And they're saying that everyone's going to get their pay frozen over 150 And the people that are making 150 or more that are going to probably make more years down the road because they're rising stars and they're just getting started in the world, those people are going to leave. It's, it's getting rid of people by attrition. They're going to quit, and they're either not going to fill those positions again um, that are the people that are leaving, the execs that are leaving, or what's going to happen is you get someone in there that's horribly underqualified for the job, and you lowball them. You say, hey, you can be an area manager uh, for the area of New Mexico and Arizona. Um, your starting pay is going to be 100000 a year. And you undercut the shit out of them. You undercut the hell out of them because the person you were paying was younger than them and making more money than the person you're going to replace them with. That person's going to say yeah, and they're going to overwork themselves for a lot less money, and no one's the wiser. That way they cut costs. That way if Wells Fargo ever succeeds years down the road, then that person will grow a little bit older with the company and then earn 150, dollars 200000 or more as they work their way up the ranks, and then that's a way of effectively cutting costs year over year. Hope I make sense with that, but I really think that's the way they do it. Now, to get back to something that we've talked about many times in previous podcasts, Bank of America announced the $20 an hour minimum wage to be effective in 2021. And then on the onset of the pandemic, they decided to just let people earn $20 an hour going forward. And of course, they had the bonus pay and stuff like that. 
But everyone was applauding that, saying, oh, good for Bank of America for looking out for the little guy. The starting salary is $20 an hour. That's 41000 a year or whatever. Good for them. They're really looking out for those hardworking, working-class folks that they have in branches. Um, no, it's not like that. It's totally wrong. So a lot of people don't realize that I made $8.25 an hour when I was a teller, okay? It's not going to go up 250% over 15 years just because... You know, Bank of America's swimming cash. It doesn't work that way. Instead of actually saying the news correctly, it's not a $20 an hour minimum wage for everyone that works there. No, what's happening is they're converting teller jobs to something called relationship banker jobs, which is essentially a salesperson or a personal banker. And they're going to make $20 an hour, yes, but they're also going to have a sales goal. And if they don't hit that sales goal, they're out on their ass. Being a teller is hard work. I'm never going to denigrate that. But you're not going to be paid $20 an hour to be a bank teller there. You may have teller duties, but you're not going to just sit there, smile, and take deposits. It never was like that, but people perceive it to be that way. But no, that person making $20 an hour is going to get their ass worked off for little compensation. $20 an hour to open accounts for a billion upon billion dollar company. And what's shitty about that is the bonuses RBs get relationship bankers is a flat $500 like bonus or something like that. They don't get anything. Personal bankers or relationship managers, my old job, can get whatever they get based on revenue. Well, relationship bankers just get a flat stipend at the end of the quarter if they hit their goal. And that's at the manager's discretion, the branch manager. So if you have a branch manager that just totally hates their RBs, they can fuck them out of that bonus as well. And they're still going to make $20 an hour and still be horribly underpaid. Wells Fargo's going through that with this freezing pay stuff here. You know, someone making $150,000 a year, I am not going to cry any tears for them. Because they can find a comparable job at another company that pays them at least that amount. I can't tell you what I would do with $150,000 a year. Um, you know, it's like 3000 a week, roughly. I'm not good at math. I worked at a bank, ironically enough. But three grand a week. I, I honestly, I probably would develop a gambling problem or a drug problem. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not joking. Now, I would probably spend it a lot on supplements and stuff for weightlifting and whatnot. But $3,000 a week-ish... My groceries are nothing. I am not kidding. I spent 41 cents on groceries this week. 41 cents. I am a coupon queen. I know how to clip coupons. I know how to strategize whenever I go to the grocery store to make sure I pay literally pennies anytime I go. 41 cents. That's it. That's all I've paid. And I'm probably going to spend no more than a dollar on groceries. I put $35 of gas today. And that's that's the end of my spending I'm going to pay the bills and that's it. I'm spending $36 out of pocket for stuff that I don't necessarily need. It's amazing. What would I do with that money? I would have a hell of a retirement if I if I banked basically two grand a week. <laughs> I can't even fathom that. And even if I was a millionaire, I'm like, I'm saving 2000 a week. Holy crap. I, you know, bring over the, the designer drugs at that point. I am not a drug user. I'm just making jokes, of course. But the people that make that much will find a way to make that much regardless. So whenever Sharf says, well, we're freezing pay, it's in reality just a way to kind of push more people out the door and say, hey, you know what? If you want to work here and make $400,000 a year, it's not going to happen anytime soon. So you get rid of those people that are going to be expensive to you down the road. You replace them with underqualified people who would be thankful 
to make 60% or 70% of what 150 is and work just as hard and you're able to fire him just as fast and replace him with someone who's equally underqualified. That's what Wells Fargo is really, really doing here. Now, to tie it all up in a bow here, talking about all this, you know, these excessive amounts of money and this money that's theoretically um, a lot of money for a lot of people except those people up top. And the fact that this story in Bloomberg says the move is an effort to support lower-paid staff while the bank navigates the economic environment and its own restructuring. The company announced basically last month that they're going to reduce the workforce. And it can literally be up to 66,000 jobs, according to one report that I saw, but maybe at least 50,000 jobs. How are you supporting those lower-paid staff? I don't get it. Are you supporting the remaining ones after the other ones are being laid off and their jobs are no longer there? I don't get that part of the story whatsoever. And it really pisses me off because you're saying that, hey, I'm not making any more than the $35 million a year to help the little people. Well, if you wanted to really fucking help the little people, you would make $15 million a year and then that $20 million can be dispersed over several hundred employees that you theoretically wanted to help, Sharf. I know that's not the way big business works, but I'm just kind of looking at it as a layperson, but also someone who's familiar with the banking industry. And you see someone in a very nice suit, and I used to say this just, um, I know it's kind of a stereotype, but I don't care. I'm from southern New Mexico, and I am Hispanic, so I have the right to say this. Anytime I used to see someone in a suit or a tie, as a little kid growing up in Socorro, New Mexico, I immediately thought that person was a millionaire. It doesn't work that way. People wear fucking ties at Olive Garden now, for God's sakes. So, I understand the thought, the Hispanic perception, or the people who are working class or poor. They see someone in, in a nice suit, and I would wear a $300 suit to my Bank of America branch. And they see that person, they're like, well, he must be well off, because he dresses nice. Look how shiny his shoes are. Look at that tie. That tie looks really nice. It's a really, it's a, it's an eye catcher. No, um... You may feel like a million bucks, but those people make nothing, okay? And I know the perception is that, hey, these tellers, these bankers are going to be okay. But they're really, really not. I really want people to know that people inside the branch are struggling. Most of them can't even afford to get a home loan that they're selling to someone, which is ironic in so many senses of the word. And it's frustrating and angering in so many senses of the word. So the fact of the matter is that 50,000 people are going to lose their jobs and a lot of them are going to be making that 150k or less threshold and the people making 150k or more are getting their um salaries frozen meanwhile sharf is up there making 35 million dollars a year something is broken this gesture about freezing pay for the for the rich associates or the ones that are the higher tier of pay associates at wells fargo is just all for show it's a way to get the younger people who are going to make a lot more down the road out replace them with cheaper labor or maybe promote people from the the cheaper labor down below get those people at a lower rate and then eliminate those jobs down there that's basically what it is and wells fargo should be ashamed frankly but I understand that it's part of a bigger issue that goes with the unauthorized account scandal that they can't their asset cap still is still pretty tight so basically they have to keep on finding creative ways to lower their spending that way they can earn theoretically more profits 
That way they can stay under the asset cap while still making a shit ton of money. And they're going to do it with a bare bones crew because if they're getting rid of 66,000 jobs or somewhere around there, that's a lot of people gone. And meanwhile, someone who makes $150,000 a year in 2021 is going to make $150,000 a year in 2022. And yeah, to that person, it's probably shitty that they're not getting their 2% raise or something else or something more. But think about it. In those two years, I'll make $300,000. Where the first 10 years of my career at Bank of America, I probably didn't even make $300,000. I'm not crying any tears for the people with the freeze and pay. I'm just really upset about the people that are going to lose their jobs. And Wells Fargo puts something out there as, hey, this is a goodwill gesture to make sure that we care about our lower paid staff. Now, if you cared about your lower paid staff, you wouldn't be looking to fire them. And that's all i got to say about that, my friends. That's another reason why your bank sucks and why I'm here to fight back. After this brief pause, I'll be back with a Bank of America story. So please stick around. All right, back with more Notorious Banker. So Bank of America's payday loan thing was something that was on my mind two months ago. I hated it. I just don't think that it's the right thing to do for the little guy, for, for lower tier customers, working class customers, because... It's going to get them in so much trouble. Now, I know the biggest selling point of Bank of America's payday loan option is the fact that you can take up to $500 out, pay it back in three monthly installments, and pay no more than $5 for the service. You know, the effective APR on that, I forget what the rates are, but it's really low. It's lower than a credit card, and it sure should lower than a payday loan company. But I also told you that in order to get this particular account, you have to have an account that can possibly overdraft. And what people don't realize is whenever that automatic payment is coming out to pay for your $500 loan, you're going to have a Netflix, a Hulu, a gym membership, an electric bill. You're going to have something that comes out automatically that's going to overdraft you, cause a $35 fee, if not more, depending on what else is coming out. And that's where the bank's going to make their money. This thing is bait for the poor people of Bank of America to grab that way you can pull them out of the water and take more money out of their pockets it's a way of earning fee revenue it's not a way to keep customers happy or during these unprecedented times give them another option to find a way to screw themselves over it's not it's not any it's not benefit to anyone it really isn't for someone who just needs a loan to kind of pass the to bridge the gaps, if you will, from one paycheck to the next, or they want to, you know, take out money for Christmas gifts or whatever, inevitably, you still got to pay the piper back. And inevitably, you're going to pay them back, and you're going to have an issue because you're borrowing money from future paychecks, paychecks that are reserved for bills and other stuff. And if you're desperately needing money in between those things, then you really need to take a look at your overall financial plan instead of just taking money out and then dealing with it later. I don't like the payday loan option that's going to be coming in January in some markets. Um, the rest of 2021 will be interspersed with debuts of this product and other Bank of America markets as well. Um, I just don't like it. I just am afraid for the overdraft fees especially, and I'm afraid for people who don't understand how the intricacies of this loan and how it'll work, mainly because you're only going to be able to do it online. You will not be able to open this account or have a frank discussion with a banker in a branch for that. And that's why I don't like it. 
I know we're going to see complaints from people once down the road saying, hey, you guys screwed me over. You took out my $500 loan payment this month. And then Netflix came out and all of a sudden I'm minus 90. And then they get another paycheck a couple of weeks later and then they have to take care of that minus 90. And then guess what? Another monthly payment for their loan is coming out in two weeks and they're not going to be able to catch up. They're going to be in, in a worse shape than people with credit card debt because at least with credit card debt, you can kind of dance around that until it's finally time. This you got to get done in three months. I fully anticipate to hear complaints from customers about this next year. One of the things on my looking forward to 2021 list on here, among other things. But there was a couple of stories out there that Bank of America um, gets to go ahead to do these loans. The first major bank to get to go ahead and small dollar loans. And the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Consumer Advocacy Group, um, basically a more official arm of what I do for a living, and that's fight for customers. Um, they were in the news a couple of days ago with this, and I'll read a story from Bram Berkowitz of Motley Fool here. And it says, Bank of America checking account customers will soon be able to take out small dollar installment loans of up to $500 to be paid back in three months. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB, recently issued the bank a no-action letter for the proposed product, providing increased regulatory certainty that the CFPB will not issue an enforcement action to Bank of America for the product. This ultimately makes Bank of America the first major bank to receive a no-action letter about small-dollar loans, according to um, American Banker. So, there's a lot of these weird technical governmental terms that I didn't know about, and I know... I, I push myself as this well-knowledge, well-rounded person. I don't know everything, okay? I, I, I know the way things work in a branch. But when you start getting into fancy language there, I got to just check a couple of things out. So I went to the CFPB to see what an enforcement action is. I mean, it kind of sounds like it's something bad. And the definition here says, When we take an enforcement action against an entity or person we believe has violated the law, we will post court documents and other related materials here. So basically, it's a reprimand. It's something that can have teeth to it or not, but something where CFPB says that, hey, you need to do stuff better. So the fact that the CFPB said that they would, they issued a no-action letter saying we're not going to fault you for offering this loan product, and it says that there's certainty that they will not issue an enforcement action to Bank of America is basically giving them the go-ahead saying, hey, we don't think you're doing anything wrong with this, so go right ahead and offer this product. Well, of course, I don't believe the intent of Bank of America is to overdraft people and cause them shit tons of fees because that just leads to a more negative experience at that. But they got to understand that that's going to be an underlying byproduct of everything that's going on with these, quote, payday loans here. The fact that the CFPB says, well, there's probably nothing that can go wrong with this, they're totally blind. They're totally blind, or, you know, I hate to say it, they're just a, a, a talking piece, a mouthpiece for the big bank industry at that point. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, CFPB, whenever someone says on Twitter, I'm going to file a complaint with the CFPB against you guys, you guys are ridiculous. I never see any teeth to that. I never see someone succeed in getting someone to help them against Bank of America or Wells Fargo. That's why I tell people whatever they need help with me. I was like, go ahead and do your complaint. I said, it's not going to help you today. It'll help if a thousand people say the same thing about the bank 
over the course of a few months or whatever. So I always tell people to do it, but just don't expect all these things to happen. So when CFPB says, well, we're not taking any action, we don't think there's enforcement actions here, they haven't seen the product in action yet. My whole theory is the fact that Bank of America is offering this product and it's going to cause people to overdraft their accounts even worse than they would if they just didn't have the loan in order to pay their bills. I think there's a responsibility for big banks out there not to get people into deeper debt in this way. Because it's, it's different than a credit card in the sense that a credit card, you have a piece of plastic and you have the, the will, the desire to not have to use it. You won't. But with this loan thing, you get this money and it goes into your account while you're on installment plan, even if you don't want to. Yes, you can pay it all back in full here, but people don't do that. And then people are going to be blindsided. They're going to forget that their first loan payment is December 1st. And then they're going to wake up and go, oh shit, I have no money. That's what I'm worried about. Because you can't just throw a monkey wrench. Uh, you can't throw a new bill into the equation whenever you're hurting for money. If you have a fixed income, especially if you're social security, disability, you have a you know pension, retirement, whatever, and your budget is set, it's fixed, or maybe it, there's a little variance there, but your money is set, and you know that social security is only going to pay you $720 a month or whatever, and you got to make do with that, you just can't automatically take out $500 from somewhere and incorporate a $170 monthly payment into your into your budget. Especially if you're in Social Security, $170 is literally like a fourth of what you make. It's ridiculous. It's not going to be feasible or a viable option for a lot of people. The fact that CFPB can't see that, or maybe they're just waiting for people to get complaints and then they'll talk about it a year or two from now, is the most disheartening thing because I can tell you what's going to happen just from the people who have asked me for loans at Bank of America whenever I work there, whenever we didn't offer such a product. I know there's going to be a viable market for that, and yes, Bank of America is not going to approve everyone for that, which is a blessing, but it's also shitty because it tells you that they deny people the right to build their credit. Yeah, Okay, let me rephrase that. It's not a right. It's a privilege. You need to take care of it. But most people can't even get to the starting line because of big banks. And now all of a sudden you're going to give them a payday loan that they don't really understand. They just know that it's available to them. And they're thinking short-sighted like, hey, $500 can buy me a 75-inch TV at Walmart during Black Friday. No, you shouldn't do stuff like that. And, you know, just because you can offer up to $500 doesn't mean everyone should get $500. That's the problem I have with anything with this product here is because it, it sows the seeds of uncertainty in my head that everything that's going to be going on with this product is going to be on the up and up. I don't think so. Like I said, the fact of the matter is you have to have an account that is able to be overdrafted, which means the one account that they pride themselves on, the safe balance checking, which avoids overdraft fees, is not acceptable for this product, which means that they've had a conversation about, hey, we need to put something in there where you can overdraft. Well, why is that? Why can't you link it with safe balance? What what are you trying to hide, Bank of America? Why are you putting someone in a $12 a month account that would be $12, $12 a month if they don't have $1,500, which they don't, which is why they're asking for the money, or direct deposit, which a lot of working class people don't? In order to get this loan where if they get your if the, if you get your money out from their account and then all of a sudden anything automatic anything electronic the same shit that you talk about to your customers comes out 
it'll lead to an overdraft or a return item fee. And for every transaction that that hits, it can be $35 a transaction up to four per day. And a lot of those companies will try to resubmit their automatic payments a couple of days later. And you get into this vicious cycle of owing several hundred dollars to a bank um, just because you forgot something. And an honest mistake is an honest mistake, but banks don't look at honest mistakes as, as oh, that's, that's your problem, not mine. No, they look at it that way. CFPB uh, taking no action on this, I understand it. I understand because there's no evidence of all this going on. I'm just merely telling you what's going to happen just from my experience. And I know that in the coming months we're going to talk more about this. But the fact of the matter is this, okay, Bank of America is offering a product, you know, and they say they're payday payday loan style type of loans here. Um, The people that dealt with payday loans in my neighborhoods over the years were the people who couldn't take money out, who literally needed every penny that they had in their pocket and maybe more to sustain their way of life, their cost of living. But giving someone an option to take money out that they don't have and make them get an account that may charge them a fee for not having enough money or possibly overdrafting their account, then that's where I think it's a little shady. I'm going to give CFPB a pass on here because... It's like what they say in the NFL when there's no conclusive evidence to overturn a call whenever a coach challenges a bad play that they see on the field. The referee will say, well, there's no conclusive evidence that this happened, so the call stands. I think that's what CFPB is doing here. They're just saying, you know what, from the looks of it, it looks good, but you know, we're here if something bad happens. Well, CFPB, I could tell you in 2021, something bad's going to happen. So keep on the lookout for that. I'm going to give you a pass on this one because there's really not much that you can do and punish someone for making the effort until you see it in action. But all I can tell you is this thing is bad news. And to anyone who maybe doesn't have a credit card who listens to this podcast, who who's usually good with their credit, and they're contemplating this particular product, I recommend totally against it. Do not accept this product one bit. It will screw you up. All I can tell you going forward is stay tuned on this because it's going to roll out in less than two months. And I am curiously optimistic about the end result of all of this bullshit that Bank of America does to find a way to nickel and dime customers all the more. So stay tuned on that. And you know damn well the Notorious Banker will be here for that in the future. But as for right now, I am gone. I am going to enjoy this cool weather. I'm going to have lunch. I'm going to enjoy my day. And I really hope you do too. So thank you so very much for listening to this podcast. Patreon.com slash Notorious Banker. For as little as a $1 subscription, you can help me fight back against big banks. Like Bank of America, Chase City, or of course evil wells fargo um you could also go to notoriousbanker.com for more information about me that's going to change the url very soon 575-322-4127 on the voicemail line i have a tiktok that i will be getting to very soon here i know i've been saying that for a while uh, notorious banker be on the lookout for that i have been preoccupied with what was going on with my niece with the elections and all this stuff But I'm throwing myself into my work because, quite frankly, I have to because the money will start running dry in a few months here. And I need your support. So please contribute in any way that you can. Sponsors, take a look at my product and see if you like it. I would love to have you over here.
But until we meet again, my friends, which should be in a few days, because I want to talk about the EDD thing with Bank of America, I will leave it at that. So thank you so much for listening to this Notorious Banker podcast. Please follow me on Twitter at BankBetterGuy for a running commentary about the shitty things that are going on with big banks. We'll talk to you very soon, everyone. Have a great day.